Welcome to the Global Franchise Podcast, intimate conversations with some of the most exciting decision makers in the world of franchising to help you and your business adapt to unprecedented change in our industry. I'm Kieran McLoon, Deputy Editor for Global Franchise Magazine. During a time of crisis, it can sometimes be tricky to know which areas of business development to prioritize. Locking down and focusing on your existing franchise network might seem like the best course of action, but this can sometimes lead to further issues down the road. Today's guest, Ryan Hicks, is all about pushing forward and overcoming adversity. In fact, he recently did so by recovering from COVID-19, which makes him our first podcast guest to have first-hand experience with the headline-dominating virus. As the Vice President for Business Development at Rallyo, Ryan's got his finger on the pulse when it comes to what works and what doesn't with social media marketing. Much more than just a buzzword, social media marketing is an essential tool for franchisors in reaching new audiences and further developing brand awareness. In fact, during these times of social distancing, social media becomes one of the most valuable assets a brand can harness. But how do you maximize the impact of your social channels and what direction should you be taking to reach the right audience and see tangible results? Make sure to stay tuned to find out. Hi, Ryan. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent, Karen. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no worries. Are you uh, you faring well during all the current uh, global craziness? It is craziness indeed, but I am faring well uh, being in the world of social media and given the fact that people are spending more time than ever online, we find ourselves extremely busy. So I'm faring well. I'm, I'm healthy. I'm feeling good now and uh, everything's good. Good. Great to hear. Um, well, if we could start with a little bit of a, a retrospective and if you could give me an idea of, of how you initially got into franchising and then secondary to that, um, what's kept you immersed in the industry for so many years? Yeah. So this is actually a, a fun question for me because if, if you look at it, franchising in most cases finds people and people don't wake up in the morning when they're young and, and say, I, I want to be a franchise entrepreneur. So there's usually kind of a come to franchising story that's really interesting, whether it's over cocktails or on a podcast. But for me, my story is a bit unique. I grew up and I had a, a neighbor. They were kind of catty quarter behind me and our fences touched. We actually had a gate in between the fences. We were friends with the gentleman's children and all the rest, but he was a multi-unit franchisee of Sonic. And so I remember my mind was blown when I was very young because I was thinking, wow, this guy owns all these Sonics. And then my dad, I was literally five and six years old. And my dad starts teaching me what franchising is. He taught me also about patenting and patent law and trademarks and all different types of distribution models. But I kind of from an early age had this abnormal amount of knowledge of franchising and you know that that kind of stuck early on but fast forward to college i started a company we built a mobile app for college towns it basically showed drink specials and we would send push notifications to students with vip specials and so we built that grew it to seven campuses had about 500 local businesses around those seven campuses on our platform and what i found uh, you know, the, kind of early on, I was in college. But what I found was it was much more advantageous to do business with the co-ops of these brands. You build trust together, uh, and when you go to a new campus, it's it's a very beautiful thing because you're a trusted supplier, and then you just turn it on. And so um, that you know, I exited that business. Uh, I ended up helping a cloud point of sale software company. 
I was a minority partner there, but we looked at the market. So this is me coming out of college, uh, grew that first business and then joined a really phenomenal technology entrepreneur, brilliant guy in software, enterprise software developer. And we realized that all of our competition had raised all of this money, hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases, and they were serving the same small business merchant. And then we looked at it and kind of from my early experience and learning about franchising and then through the college experience, I said, we should take this business and focus specifically on franchise. And so that's when I got hooked because it's it's really a combination of three things for me. It's that kind of knowledge and, and understanding of franchising at an early age. And then it's the incredible sense of community that exists in franchising when you attend conferences, the willingness to share and learn and grow, uh, even amongst competition. It's what I always hear you know, from people, the, the one thing that blows them away when they get in franchising. But for me, it's the people. It's the mentors that I've been blessed to have in my life. I'm 32 years old, so I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm relatively early in my career, but I've had the opportunity to be mentored by some of the very best franchisors, uh, multi-unit franchisees, literally one of the largest franchisees in the world, and then also uh, suppliers. And so like me, I'm a, I'm a student of franchising. I'm an expert in, in everything social, as I'm sure we'll talk about, but I'm also a student and an evangelist of the franchise business model. So that's what's kept me immersed. Yeah. I mean, starting at five and then now, as you say, you're 32, like a 27, 27 year pathway to find yourself where you are and you're only still only 32 is quite a unique position to be in, I think, for people in the franchising world. But um, so at the minute you have, you know, after all the initially the finding out about Sonic and your journey, you've now found yourself at Ralio. Um, could you kind of give us an idea of what sort of service Ralio provides and what gap in the market that uh, it fills when it comes to franchise social media management? Absolutely. would love to. So in order to keep this engaging for the audience, I won't just pitch the platform, but what I'd invite you to do is to do an exercise. And so like in your mind's eye, just imagine it's 2013 and because that's actually when Rallyo started. So social networks obviously are exploding. Facebook has hit global scale. Instagram has really hit global scale as well. And it's, it's kind of a fragmented world in the sense uh, that there's no simple way to organize and manage and monitor all of those social media pages from a centralized place. So like you imagine you're a franchisor and, and back then the question was, do we claim our local franchisees pages? And there was just really no way to manage all that. So Ralio stepped in to fill that gap, right? So the ability to manage and monitor. So our baseline product offering, and we've really refined this over the years and it's still our baseline product offering. But the baseline product is to provide that ability to, in a single dashboard, connect Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, all the the major social platforms. And then also on the reputation side, Yelp, Google, my business, and Facebook reviews. So you don't have to leave our platform to be able to manage any of these on the corporate side, as well as on the franchisee side. So you know, you have the ability to publish content, to respond to posts and comments, even have imagery libraries. You, you can see top performing content. It's all there and it's all in the palm of your hand. So that's Ralio really 2013 through 2018. But the biggest gap that we, I mean, we saw this early on and it's actually why I joined 
Rallyo and I joined Chuck and the team. The team is absolutely amazing. And, and the vision is, is really, it's, it's just a, it's just a feel good group to be around. And we have that same dynamic with, with our clients, but the gap that we saw and kind of really why I jumped on board is really, I, I would say it's twofold. First, it's the need. And this is for literally, if this crosses industries, we serve clients across many, many different industries, but the need for authentic local level content and engagement. And so we're not a, we're not a social media marketing agency. You don't hire us to deploy your ads. You hire us to a manage the whole ecosystem. Ads are a part of that, but it's the whole ecosystem, but really it's the need for that real local story. Most brands are putting out vanilla content and the problem with getting local level storytelling is that that's very costly to scale and it's really tough to kind of leave franchisees out there on the dark in their own because they can either overpay for that for that capability from someone or it's going to be off message off tone and so we solve that through a very unique and proprietary way that we're crowdsourcing imagery from employees and and from customers and all and uh, you know from all the different stakeholders and we're really we're also offering incentives so like we that's the biggest gap that we feel is the local content problem the second thing that we feel is what I call the the algorithm problem and that is that business page content versus personal page content so if I'm if I have, if I'm a franchisee of you know X Y Z brand and I'm publishing content on my business page, that content, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram or wherever it's at, that content is seen by maybe 2% of my followers, unless I have a strategy, like I just mentioned before with local level content, unless I have a strategy to really build that organic engagement, or I have a, like a boost strategy, that content is not being seen. But what we do that's different is that we look at it and say, okay, how do we incentivize how do we incentivize employees to engage and customers to engage? And I think we'll probably get into this topic a little bit deeper, but those are the, the that's really the two gaps that we solve is local level content and uh, the, the ability to get, it, in essence, your net promoters out there, the people that advocate your brand to become actual promoters. And that's, that's really the unique gap that we fill. Right. And if we could delve into the, the local side of things a little bit more, um, what do you think are some of the ways that franchisors should be encouraging their franchisees to promote concepts locally? You know, things that they can do that on a more nation, uh, nationwide scale, maybe franchisors don't have access to. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it is the question. The, the first thing that, that brands can do is, is number one, give uh, and and most, most brands are already doing this. A lot of people have files in Dropbox and different systems, but a lot of the brands are now starting to get a baseline platform in place and basically give a place where they're, they're giving the ideas of the playbook to the franchisees. They're, they're, they're showing the franchisees what that uh, kind of authentic local level content could look like. But, but really what we did is we created a model where at Rallyo, we can assign literally a dedicated strategist. We go in and we really learn a brand, but we can assign a, assign a dedicated strategist that is their sole job is to make sure that they're managing that local level content calendar. And we build out, uh, we do everything from responding to 
comments and reviews to, to being responsible for putting the three to five or whatever the number is of the actual local posts out of, of, a, of, of putting a boost budget in place, whether you're boosting some sort of uh, promotion or it's just a feel good story. Um, we, we have a dedicated person uh, in charge of all that, but at the baseline, you need to have as as a brand as a, as the franchisor. My strong recommendation is to put in place a at least the baseline playbook of what should be happening. That really should be. You need to have at least three local posts per week. You need to make sure that you're responding to any type of engagements that come onto the page because when you respond, that's when things get seen. So the world today is a conversational place and you just have to be there, whether you're doing it yourself, you have a manager dedicated to it, or you outsource a strategist with someone like Ralio. And um, our local program is also very unique to us in in the way that we offer it. But the recommendation is just to make sure that you have that activity buttoned up because people, here's what we're seeing. In today's world with this wild pandemic, the first thing that a lot of brands, and I know it depends on the industry, but the first thing that's pulled that has been pulled back is paid ad spend. Paid ads are like, pardon, pardon me if I'm not allowed to say that on here, but it's the sexy side of, you know, of marketing, right? You're going to go deploy ads and I want to see direct quantifiable ROI and I want to see that right now. And, and historically, people have forgot about the fact that hey, these social channels are living, breathing windows into the soul of my business at the local level. And if if you have a global pandemic like this and people are pulling back ad spend, guess what they're doubling down on now? And so, you know, people are turning to these local channels. We've been saying this for multiple years now, but people are now realizing, okay, I need to be providing value on these channels. And so make sure that you have the baseline in place. Make sure you show your franchisees what that should look like. And uh, th- that's really where I'd start. Yeah, so it's much more than just setting up a schedule of posts for the week. As you say, it's getting really hands-on, responding to people and making that a real living, breathing space, much more than a, a bulletin board um, for the brand. But obviously at the minute, you know, with the COVID-19 crisis, the marketing and social media world is kind of shaken up a little bit. And you have actually just recovered or recently recovered from the, the virus, haven't you? <laughs> so would you be able to give us kind of a little insight into what that was like, you know, just your your experience of COVID-19, I guess, as a whole? Yeah, so it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a wild story. So I learned, I learned of my potential exposure in a, in a uh, it was a newspaper art, paper article that was then published online or it was published online, shared to me in a group text thread and I start reading it and I, say, oh, I was there. And then I look at it and the employee that was checking IDs at the door of this place was actually the person that got it. So I knew immediately that I needed to self-quarantine. Mm. Three days later, I started getting a little bit of a fever and achy. And uh, I kind of, you know, it's a, it's surreal as you're looking at the news and this thing that, at you know, I got it early, but this is right when we started moving to shut uh, a lot of things down, and I'm I'm reading all these r- really scary reports. I kind of just had to turn the news off, yeah, uh, because I kind of knew that I was coming down with it. I got tested. There was actually a very f- ironic story uh, when I went to get tested because my fever went away, and they were about to not test me. Luckily, I knew the ER doctor at where I went, and so I got the test. I ended up testing positive, 
And for me, it was achiness. It was fever. You know, I did the best I could. I actually didn't miss any conference calls uh, just because that's kind of my nature. But I, I just moved as little as possible. I drank water. I had vitamin C. I alternated Tylenol and ibuprofen. And uh, it, w- it really was not that bad. So a word of encouragement to, to people in the audience that it, this is a very dangerous thing if you have pre-existing conditions, if you're over a certain age, but the, 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 the numbers are, are in. I can start citing multiple different studies that I, I've really been following this stuff uh, in the sense that the numerator in the division of how many people uh, have this versus how many have actually been tested, the, the death rates are a lot lower than originally people thought it would be, um, except in those ranges where you have these certain uh, predispositions. I didn't have any of the predispositions. I fought it off very quickly. I was good to go in less than a week. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it is a scary thing, but it's great to hear that that you have recovered from it. And, you know that you st- didn't even really slow down by the sounds of it in terms of working and just grinding while completely bedbound. So. Um, so no, that's really great. Um, while we're sort of on COVID talk, which unfortunately I imagine is what is on the on the minds of most people at the minute, um, how do you think that that franchise brands should be sort of adapting their social media messaging when it comes to the current crisis? You know, and what are some some must dos and must avoids to just kind of approach this really sensitive global issue with the right kind of uh, right kind of mindset? It's a very good question. So. The first thing to keep in mind is like what is what is the value of, of using social platforms and what is the function of it really at the end of the day and there's really two main two main things that you can do or provide on social media especially as a brand and really the two the two modalities are you either you're either entertaining or you're informing and I say entertaining because in popular culture people sit. You know, they sit and scroll Instagram for literally hours and hours and hours. And that's what people are doing now. Time on social media is up hundreds of percents, 200 percent on Facebook. The last thing I saw, I think it's probably a lot more. But the main. So what I want to speak to first are the people that are closed, Um, because there's a lot of brands out there that are closed. And this is a very scary time. And so like, if I'm thinking, for example, if you're in the personal services world where your business is literally you're, you're, you have to provide hands-on service. And so if I'm, if I'm one of those brands, I'm finding ways to bring value to my folks. That could be in the form of how-tos. Uh, it, it, it could be uh, sharing pictures and fun facts about employees because if you have a business where you have any type of relationship with the customer and a service provider, you get to know these people and you want to be able to show them and display them on, on the social channels. Uh, I can go down a list of infinite uh, of the ideas that we have and our incredible team has in our playbook that we help brands with. But the the main thing is that you're there and that you you are thinking of them and you are trying to reverse engineer what would be valuable to them. And so there's two ways to pivot. A lot of people, are, and, and it's, I'm blown away at seeing how some of these amazing franchise brands and franchisees out there really need to give their franchisors a lot of love. In a lot of these cases, I'm seeing these teams work literally 15, 18 hour days trying to pull pivots together. But you also need to pivot the messaging. Um, I'll give an example. Yesterday, I, I also host a podcast and I had the CEO of a brand on as a company here in Dallas, Texas. They uh, they do blind repair and installation. 
a really awesome company. I just met this CEO, Kelsey is his name. And he, he, we were talking about this topic and we're kind of riffing back and forth. And the, his franchisees obviously realized that they need to connect with the customers. And so how do you do that? And, and, and how do you do it in a way that, that also brings a little light to the world, right? You don't want to be tone deaf, but you, you don't also want to be rigid and boring. Like literally at Rallyo, one of our key phrases is don't be boring, right? Um, but but uh, th- this, he gave a really funny example of one of his franchisees had his wife recording and he dressed up and he acted like he was showing up at the door and he had a T-Rex, like, you know, those big T-Rex suits. He had one of the T-Rex suits on. And so like, instead of a mask, he was like, I'm safe. And so it, it really overemphasized, and, uh, you know, the fact that he could either wear a, a face mask or wear a T-Rex suit. But, it, you know, that seems silly. Um, but that that's a message that was was kind of interesting on the social channel. It's like you want to find the balance of, number one, bringing value to your customer in any and every way possible. You want to really brainstorm what they care about, reverse engineer that because you know your customer, your audience, or at least you should. Um, bring value to them and don't forget to, to also try to bring a little bit of light into the world. No, thanks very much for that. I mean, the example of the T-Rex suit, you know, it does come across, I guess, as maybe slightly silly, but it's probably much more memorable than a graph or a pie chart that some brand might be able to throw up. Um, and people will share that kind of thing. So it works. It works really well. And I'll have to add the caveat, by the way, I, I'm a little bit of a shoot from the hip, you know, right here. So like maybe my team would not think that's the best idea. I just thought it was brilliant. It was a, it was a, it was a funny thing, but go ahead. Yeah, no, definitely. And it seems like the main kind of one of the main headlines then is that even if these brands have had to shut loads of locations or are operating a different way, you know, you have to still carry on focusing on social media so that your brand doesn't just slip away from consumers' minds. If we could talk while we're on social media, if we could talk a little about uh, micro-influencers, which seems to be a huge trend, especially in the last few years with platforms like Instagram. Um could you just explain what you think the appeal of using micro influencers is and also how how franchise brands can utilize them to reach those niche segments of their markets? Absolutely. So if you think of influencer and if most brands think of uh, utilizing influencers as a, uh, you know, as a strategic way to get the word out about your brand, about your message, you immediately think of the famous celebrity, or maybe it's a local celebrity. It's a it's a guy or a or a gal that has thirty seven thousand followers right here in seven five two zero seven area code in Dallas, Texas. And so this is an influencer, right? Our concept of of what we call the micro influencer came from a couple of things. The idea was actually born uh, in in communication with my team while we were out on our summer podcast tour. But the the yeah. idea is that let's give an example. Let's say that I'm a home tutoring company. So we work with a number of those great franchise brands, but let's say that I'm a tutoring company. If I have, let's say the, a parent of one of the children that get the tutoring done, her name is, her name is Stacy. Let's say Stacy shares a particular piece of content and it basically promotes a brand and their service online. Guess what? She might not have 37 followers like the other quote unquote influencer, but she has actually more influence for that brand in that market because seven of 
her daughter's friends go to school together and she's friends with 23 of the mothers in the neighborhood association, right? So like the idea of going after vanity metrics, follows, engagements, this and that on the influencer side, like how do we tap and activate our people who actually love us, who are brand advocates for us, who are in essence the definition of a micro influencer and who would share your brand message, by the way, if only asked? Because most brands are missing the fact that they don't have a creative and simple way to ask their micro influencers to become advocates, become, and I, I actually stole this terminology from Tom Epstein of, of Franchise Payment Network and Pollinate, but he, he calls it net promoters to real promoters. And we're, we're very, we have very synergistic offerings um, together. And so that's why kind of I really gravitated towards it. But how, how do you ask those folks and have them actually become those influencers? And what if you put an incentive behind it? What if you added a gift card giveaway and it could literally only be 20 bucks? It could be $100. Like imagine if, okay, so in your mind's eye, picture a dartboard, a, a dartboard in front of you because I'm trying to illustrate this. In the very dead center is the bullseye, right? That's the target. That's the goal. That, those are customers. That's, that's the customer. And then instead of an actual dartboard with the numbers, let's just say there's rings around it. So you have the first ring around that bullseye is your employee. Do you know how many employees of these franchisees are out there in these incredible franchise brands? How many built-in influencers that they have? One of the biggest things that clients come to us, one of the biggest things they want help with, not only on the consumer side of of as people are searching social and it's, it's a validation tool, it's an engagement and community building tool, um, all these social platforms. But from a recruitment standpoint, what do you think the first thing that you're going to do when you're applying for a job and you see one of your best friends or a person that you knew in the industry three years ago is advocating some particular brand online because that brand has done a good job to empower them to do so? Do you think that's going to result in more job applications or better top of mind, uh, you know, impression of a brand when they go to, when they go to find their next job or less. So this is the type of stuff that actually moves the needle because no longer is marketing what we say our brands are about. It's about, you know, it's about what our customers and employees say about our brand. Our brands live in the hearts, minds, and mouths of our customers and our employees. And that's just how the world works today. And so we've built a program called Activate that makes it very simple to activate those customers and those employees and to turn them into brand advocates for your, for your brand and to automatically fulfill things like gift card giveaways. I mentioned Tom Epstein's company with Franchise Payment Network, Franchise Payments Network. We're working on being able to give loyalty points for uh, social activities, which could also get into hashtagging and all of that. And so... If you do one thing as a brand, this is going to become a thing over the next one year, two years, three years. We're going to be at the forefront of it. But if you do anything as a brand, find out how to tap your micro influencers because there is a gold mine living in there. And when we come out of this COVID-19, this is the grassroots type of quote unquote stuff that you should really have your marketing team have their eye on.
in recent times when platforms like Instagram have removed like counts and things like that, those sort of blanket metrics aren't really as important at all as the things you're talking about, you know, these actionable, really tangible results that come from people being interwoven with their communities. Um, so uh, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, and I imagine we'll talk more about more in depth about your your podcast in a moment. But so you run the or you host rather the the Modern Business podcast, and you've been doing that for quite a t- quite a while now, longer than we've been doing this one at least. Um, so do you do you believe that podcasting is you know has it kind of achieved all it can, or is there still much more that it can that it can bring to the table when it comes to franchise franchise recruitment? You know, our franchisors utilizing podcasts as much as they should at the minute. So it's a really great question, and it's why I started dipping my toe in podcasting since dipping the toes. I think we've done over 180 of them, if you counted the content that we've, we also did on the tour for uh, the, the folks that sponsor the tour, which is franchisors.com. We probably have over 200 podcasts. But to answer your question, the answer is yes. Podcasting can help with franchise recruitment because that's the specific example that you cited within that. And I'll give you two ideas just to throw out there that a lot of people haven't thought about because people think about creating a podcast. You can have a podcast strategy specifically just to be hosted on podcasts. And if I'm if I'm in the Lash world, for example, there's a lot of people that have these little beauty and wellness podcasts. You can then become featured on there. So like there's a whole second tier strategy of, of just basically getting out there and getting in front of podcast audience. But let's rise above that for just a second and just let me be clear that it's not necessarily the medium. It's basically what is what is the like at looking at yourself and or your team, if you're considering starting a podcast, what is what is your way of communicating? If that's writing, you should write. If that's video, you should be on video. But the beauty th- the beautiful thing about podcasting is if you're doing videos, you can turn those into podcasts. So the the great thing about podcasting and why we've seen the massive explosion is that it uh, number one, it's the barriers to entry are literally nothing. I can teach you right now how to start a podcast literally in four minutes and be published on on all the major platforms. It's extremely simple to start. There's an app called Anchor you can do that on. Uh, but the barriers to entry are low. But what it provides is your is your audience to be able to listen whenever they want to consume. And we live in an on-demand world. Uh, I listened to a podcast this morning in the shower, right? I listened to a, I, I ran out of coffee, so I had to go run to the store and I have my AirPods in. And as I'm walking around feeling extremely weird because I've had COVID-19 and I'm safe now and they're making me wear a mask, I'm listening to a podcast. But guess what? Don't just think about it as external because what if you started an internal podcast, right? I've helped many brands just by way of suggestion. It's not a business or anything. I just, I'm passionate about this stuff. But imagine if you provided your training and the message from the CEO or whatever it is in podcast form, you're going to get a lot of people. One of the number one uh, complaints, there's always complaints on franchisee and franchisor side, but one of the number one things is that your, your team does awesome work, but people don't engage with it and actually uh, learn and, and execute. But this is a new medium and a new way to get your message in front of your people. And that could be internal and it can also be external. And so I can give you an example. I had a guy on the podcast, hosted it with Mr. Zach Fishman, the great, uh, and his brand is Cinch IT. It's a IT, uh, IT services franchise. 
and they just started franchising and they're starting to ramp up uh, in terms of their unit economics are incredible. But he cites multiple and he just started franchising in 2019. He cites multiple franchisees because of his podcast efforts. And he has a documentary over on YouTube, like a very simple, like point and shoot. It's not it's nothing fancy the documentary wise, but this type of activity does build like what it does. When I hosted Gary Vaynerchuk on on my podcast in uh, at IFA 2019, he came on and incredible dude. He was supposed to spend 25 minutes with us and he was there for almost an hour. I think IFA was upset with me because he was running late. I didn't know his timing, <laughs> right? I didn't know when he had to be anywhere, but yeah. he, he came on and he said the, the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways that I got from him, it's not about perfection. I say, um, and ah, and I, I stutter and I slur. It doesn't matter. It's about building connecting points. It's about attracting your tribe. It's about speaking to people who value what you value. And the more ways, like if I, do you know how many people come up to me? Not because I'm special. Everybody that comes on my podcast is way smarter than me. Uh, But people come up to me and they know me because they've listened to hours and hours and hours and hours of my voice. That does, do you think that builds more trust or less? Right. And so you know, as a brand for you to not be thinking about this. And I get that there's other irons in the fire, but for you to not be thinking about how that impacts your, your business internally or externally, given the fact that the barriers to entry are so low, then you ought to reconsider that because there's a way, there are ways that you can go build connection points. You can sponsor podcasts. That's another way that you can get top of mind. You can be guests on podcasts. You can start an internal podcast. You can be an external podcast. Or you can say, look, that's not our medium. We're going to do this other thing. But build those connection points uh, with the stakeholders and the audience that you want to build them with because that's when the long-term value actually comes. So that couple of thoughts of mine on podcasting. Yeah, no, it's crazy how ubiquitous podcasting is. Like, like you said, you know, this evening, I'm probably going to go and do a big shop and I'll no doubt have a podcast in my in my ears for about an hour. And yet there are there's loads of brands that just aren't utilizing that as an avenue. Um, and I didn't even consider the idea of, yeah, like internally in a business, people drive even on their commute to and from work. It's just another th- way to to be able to communicate. Um, but you you touched upon it and uh, we mentioned we spoke with uh, Zach Fishman last time we had him on the podcast about like you've was it last year you did the modern business tour of 26 states in 47 days um and you've got an upcoming upcoming west coast tour is that right well meant to have an upcoming yeah just depending on i suppose well um so we do um we do so just for the folks in the audience that weren't aware we did a tour last summer we did 50 days 26 states 116 podcasts with absolutely incredible leaders ranging from franchisors to very large franchisees to robert Crisanti at IFA and we had so many phenomenal people on and uh, we, we kind of looked at it. We looked at some of the folks that sponsored and they said, absolutely not. We're not, we're not going to do this again and fund you guys going out on the road. But we, we looked at it and we, we planned out a two week path uh, across five States. It's going to be in West coast. We're going to start in Denver, Colorado. Uh, and we're going to go from there. Um, we don't have dates to announce given the uncertainty of the times that we're living in. And we want to be sensitive to the fact that people are going to be busy as we come out of this. But in between time right now, Zach and I are doing a lot of podcast content. We have another one later today. But really, really for us, 
it's just about getting out in the community, engaging with the community. And, uh, it's, it's about, it's, it's like one of the phrases that I love is you can't stick your hand in a pot of glue without some of it sticking. Right. And so for us, we're looking, we learn from these people and, uh, it's a way for our audience to learn biosmosis from the, from the folks. And if, if you catch yourself looking at a title and you see that someone in a completely different industry isn't on, that's when you should tune in because you never know when that one idea, that one thing strikes because someone said something that triggered an idea. And then there you go. That idea could change your business. And, and so for us, we're passionate about that. We love it. We have something that we call the modern way. It's our kind of philosophy uh, that starts with mastering the process, owning your niche, dreaming big, making, making bold moves, relentlessly focusing on the mission, vision, values, and never give up. And that's a philosophy that, and there's a lot more to that. I gave the cliff notes, but that's what we learned from our guests on the show. And we also have kind of another kind of modern approach that, that we have, um, but that's really for us what it's about. And it's about building community and about building content that lasts for years that gives value for the community. And we're going to do that again uh, as soon as we can. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm impressed that you're still finding people to come on the podcast because it seems like you've interviewed so many that you would have covered all of the franchise industry by this point. <laughs> Franchising is a big place. So it's, it's uh, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, no, it is. It's only getting bigger as well. Um, so the the last thing I wanted to talk with you about, Ryan, is um, eventually in a in a post COVID world, once all of the once all the dust settles after this, um, what are some of the ways that you think marketing and social media either will have changed permanently, or some of the things that are going to change in terms of new trends or new ways that brands utilize these services? Uh, and what do you think all the new the new norm will be after all this? Yeah. So new normal is absolutely correct. There is no world in which we get back to normal and it's the same as the, the old normal from a psychological standpoint, from a consumer behavior standpoint. But what I would say is this is, is the old way, you know, I already touched on the fact marketing is no longer what you say your brand is marketing and, and a lot. And I've heard this uh, multiple times that we, we host a springboard at home series uh, every week, every Thursday at three Eastern now, and one of our guests said, uh, franchisors and suppliers, by the way, will be remembered for how they behave during these times. And I know these times are hard, but the fact of the matter is, is the old way used to be we pushed out our message. It was one way that was maybe in this going back years and years, but uh, decades. But it used to be a radio ad. It used to be a TV commercial or a direct mailer or a billboard. Marketing used to be a lot easier in that sense because you just told the world what you were and that's what it was. But now... It was always conversational because every, you know, ask any marketing expert is the best source of clients comes from your existing clients. It's called referrals and people talking. But now it's just so much easier to have conversations online. That has been the case. But I just I think that the biggest opportunities in social are not and I have a biased view, but they're not in how effective of paid ads can you run. Uh, I'm not discount. I'm a massive fan of paid ads. You need to have three strategies, the, the, the audience that you buy, the audience that you control and the audience that you own. All I'm saying is that I believe that people are going to look to their, their owned, uh, channels, whether that's email lists, uh, text message is going to be huge. 
uh, also your, your social channels and being able to actually get them to have like see your, your content and share your content. I think that that's going to change big because that's what brands are being relegated to right now because they can't deploy the, the ad dollars. And so especially as Facebook gets scaled, bigger companies start putting in more money, the price goes up. So now we have to find ways for arbitrage on price. Uh, and so that's why you have to be thinking about building engaged audiences. And so, you know, I think it's just a conversational world. It becomes more conversational. There's more time spent on, on mobile devices, phones, and heaven forbid when VR and AR hit, it's like people are literally going to be live attached to screens. And so um, that's just a little bit of the flavor of how I'm thinking about it, but do not miss out on the power of your owned you know, I gave the buy, the, the buying is buying paid ads, owned or controlled uh, con- uh, traffic or, or audiences is really kind of like your traditional PR. And then owned is your own channels. You need to have strategies for all three. I think each of those are going to slightly iterate and change. You have to be conscious of the message, but don't underestimate the power of your own channels because I think that we're going to come out of this with people having a lot more focus on it. Yeah. And would you say that um, authenticity is going to be a really big part of all of that? That seems like something we're, we're hearing a lot of at the minute is, you know, people are going to be much more switched on to to the brands that aren't really being transparent with both, you know, both internally with franchise networks, but also on the consumer side. A thousand percent. Like I read a study a couple of days ago. Actually, I was taking an online course because I'm, I'm a bit of a weird guy. I literally work all day and I spend my weekends on on business stuff. And, you know, I, I also get when I'm not able to travel, cause I'm always traveling in, in this world of franchising, but, but I read this study that said literally like the unproduced kind of more raw stuff, like people overthink content. It's like literally snap the photo. And, and obviously like part of our job is to make sure things are in brand standards and voice, but, but you can't like, you can't overproduce things and the more authentic you come out and get at the why. Like one of our favorite things to do is have have an employee share a quick testimonial of why they work where they work, how they feel like they're making an impact. And you would be blown away at the, you know, the really ch- chilling answers that you get whenever you share that type of information. And that's what helps build your tribe and instill the loyalty of your people and your following and so authenticity is is absolutely the the word yeah no for sure um well thanks very much for your time today ryan it's been really great chat you know covered plenty of uh, plenty of topics but um yeah i'm looking forward to seeing what you guys do with the the upcoming west coast tour whenever that does whenever that does materialize but uh yeah thanks for your time I don't think we've ever spoken to somebody whose franchising journey started when they were just five years old, Um, but it's really clear that Ryan has a lot of passion and drive when it comes to both his personal brand and the brands that he helps through Ralio. The takeaways around social media from our conversation will be really essential to brands that have found themselves impacted by COVID-19. And the advice Ryan gave when it comes to when and how franchises should interact with their audiences provided a really solid rule book um, that brands can build upon. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're just responding to comments on a post or dressing up in a T-Rex suit for a viral video. This stuff really matters. Uh, We'd love to hear from you on this. How have you been approaching social media marketing in the past few months? And how do you think you'll change and adapt that approach as the current crisis continues? Make sure to let us know.
If you like the podcast, subscribe and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. To keep up to date with franchise news and have it put into context by the global franchise experts, subscribe to the magazine, hit us up at globalfranchisemagazine.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn today.